This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome to the SM Show. That's all about what's working and what's not in stocks and markets. I'm Julian Ng, and together with me is, of course, Kusu Chuang. Joining us this morning, a very special guest, Andrew Stotts, advisor for Fortress Capital, which is a licensed fund manager that focuses on the Asia Pacific region. Andrew, you come all the way from Thailand. It's so nice of you to be here with us. Happy to be here. And uh, you're here to discuss uh, the idea of whether emerging markets are now ripe for the run. Uh, we we know that uh, the U.S. markets have had a Trump bump, so the investors over there have been very, very happy. But what about the emerging markets? Well, ultimately, we have to accept the fact that emerging markets are going to be impacted by what's happening in the U.S., But I would say at this point, to me, the emerging markets are starting to look interesting. And I think that's partially to do with the risks that the U.S. is facing. Okay, let's look at um, the guys out there who have been burned over the last few years, putting the money in, leaving the money in emerging markets, right? Uh, Hasn't really gone anywhere. And then there was that big scare at the start of 2016 where the market, I think, came down about 30%. And then uh, later on in the year, it rallied back up to to the level before. So... What I'm trying to say is that over the past five years, the emerging market investors or or speculators or traders, as the case may be, have not gotten any returns out of this. What's going to change this time? Well, there's no telling where things could go. So obviously, uh, the past is not necessarily going to predict the future. But what I would say is that the one key difference is that the U.S. was fueled by zero interest rates. And that has changed and it's changing. So it's a little bit like you set up a restaurant, someone sets up next to you and they cut the price to zero. You're never going to be able to compete with that. But eventually they're going to raise the price. And so what's happening in the U.S. is they're raising the price of money and that is at some point going to be having an impact on the stock market. Well, you earlier mentioned the word, you know, problems that America is having. Some might say that this rate normalization timetable is actually good for markets and it's good for the economy. So what kind of problems are you talking about? Are you talking about the constitutional crisis, potentially? Talking about the, you know, the Trump effect in terms of his, you know, his uh, militaristic um, statements? Well, let's just take a look at this market. First of all, we've had a bull rally that's lasted for 97 months, uh, and that's longer than almost any rally we've had in a long time. Over that period of time, the market's been up by 200 more percent. And the P.E. now is at, let's say, if we look at the Schiller P.E., which is looking at the average earnings over a 10-year period, you're talking about a 30 times P.E. So my point is is that zero zero interest rates drove up that market. Very expensive, basically. Extremely. And, and, And we didn't get that. We didn't lower interest rates to that level in Asia, for sure. So you're saying it's a mathematical, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a markets thing. It's, it's because it's gone up so much and it's time to take some money off the table and put it to emerging markets. Not necessarily because emerging market fundamentals have improved, but only because money's got to find a home somewhere. Yeah, there's a lot of different complexities to this. But point number one is what is the alternative to where is the money now that could come into emerging markets? And a lot of it's in the U.S., and it's been riding up that market. And you would have been in a lot of pain if you're a global as- asset allocator and you weren't allocated to the U.S. So um, this, this whole idea about whether uh, emerging markets will fundamentally improve, um, there is that whole idea about now the, the U.S. is pushing up interest rates. And that's supposedly a com- confirmation that things are okay over there economically. They are turning the, around the corner. 
is the U.S. going to be the, the tide that lifts all boats, whether it's emerging markets or the rest of the world? I mean, they're the biggest consumer in the world. No. In okay. fact, the increase that's happening for this normalization is not to do with you know the economy's doing well. This is that they are terrified at the Fed that they've kept interest rates at a zero level for almost a decade. They're terrified that inflation at some point will start to catch up. And that inflation is not necessarily going to be driven by the fact that the market is – that the, the overall economy is doing well. So I'd say that, no, this is about – they need to get out of this zero-rate policy quickly before inflation starts to exceed 2 percent. So that's one issue. Okay, if that's not economically driven, um, U.S. interest rates are going up, money is flowing back to take advantage of uh, a relatively more attractive U.S. dollar, that would leave our currencies exposed, as we have seen in the Malaysian ringgit over the last three years. So there's lots of different elements to this. The element number one that I've talked about is this idea of the market's been driven by low interest rates and they have to get off of that policy. That's number one. The second thing is that you could say, hey, Andrew, the interest rate rising means that people are going to want to invest in dollar. Well, wait a minute. Hold on. Where are you going to put your money in the U.S. if you're going to invest in dollar? You're going to buy your dollars. You're going to buy into the stock market at 30 times Schiller P.E.? You're probably not. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're going to put your money in the bond market. But wait a minute, we've just said that interest rates are going up in the bond market. Therefore, prices are going to go down in the bond market. You're not going to make a lot of money in the bond market during this period of rising uh, interest rates. So I would say that we have this unique situation where both bond market and stock market are, are really uh, going to potentially have risk of going down. And so that's going to be a curb of how much money is going to go rushing into America because interest rates are rising. So last Wednesday, uh, Andrew, I saw this report come out from Credit Suisse, right? These two guys, they wrote what was essentially a trading strategy. And they said that they're going to take, you know, go, um, Credit Suisse is going to take some money out of their profit-making Brazilian equities portfolio and put it into what they described as the most contrarian bet, which is Malaysia, because there's so many factors militating against Malaysia. And in fact, in the seven days since then, you've seen the ringgit go from 4.45 or something to 4.423 or something, which is kind of like a half percentage uh, percent gain in that one week, you know, there's about twenty four percent. It's a big leap. Yeah. A big kind leap. of a big leap. In yeah, one if you week, analyze yeah. it, there's a twenty four percent gain. You know, if all things stay the same, so so I mean, but it's a trade, right? Because at the end of the day, they're not buying the fundamentals. They're just buying because Malaysia is so unloved, and they're selling America because it's just gone up too much. But you know, capitals. Capital is very transient, isn't it? It comes in and goes, ebbs and flows. It's not because of, you know the fundamentals have improved. When you look at oil prices. Look at the commodity complex. They're still as beleaguered as ever. So mm. how are they going to justify that move to investors if not purely on a mathematical or valuation perspective? Well, I think that that, <clears throat> that move in general to move out of a higher market into a lower market tends to, tends to work over the long run. So I wouldn't be against that move. I would say that uh, we have to be careful about Malaysia. When I look at Malaysia for the price that you pay for what you get, and I look at two things. First, I look at earnings growth, and second, I look at ROE, the return on the equity. And in both cases, I don't see a great opportunity in Malaysia right now. So I would question whether that trade made the most amount of sense. But obviously, selling high assets that have gone up a lot uh, does make sense. Mm-hmm. But and, and, and of course, uh, the emerging markets are huge. It's a huge region covering you know anywhere from China to Turkey to Brazil. Um, so what countries are you focusing on? I mean, China, one of the biggest countries uh, in the emerging markets, in fact, in the world, second largest economy in the world. 
um, still has its problems. Are you kind of does that make you kind of less sanguine about the emerging markets? Um, I would say that uh, the the opportunities in emerging markets that I see, I'll, I'll give you a list of com- countries that I think are interesting. Uh, I would say China China is is interesting to me now, but we have to be careful about China because China is very expensive market. If we take away the financial companies, the banks in China, the PE of China is very high. Mm-hmm. But China is interesting to me right now. India is interesting to me. Indonesia is interesting to me. Those are some of the ones that I would say are most attractive at, at this point of, of Asia uh, emerging markets. What's the number for China, by the way? Uh, the number of what? Uh, the PE or, or the valuation for China. China, if we look at China A shares right now, the PE is about 16 times. And if we exclude uh, non-financials, we're talking about more like 22, 23 times. Yeah. So still at a discount to the U.S. uh, Schiller ratio, which is about 30 times, right? Yeah. It's it's, it's Schiller – because Schiller calculates over a 10-year EPS, the EPS tends to be lower. So the PE tends to be higher. So if we did a Schiller, it would be – it could be pretty high. But the difference is is that China still has tremendous amount of growth. America is going to have a hard time getting growth. But I would like to go back to America to talk about the last point, which is can the fundamentals improve? Because if you're buying this market, the American market, let's say, is trading on 19 times P.E. or 30 times Schiller P.E., but let's just say 19 times P.E., that's not crazy expensive if you can accelerate the earnings growth Correct. in so America. Do you believe that you know, the Trump plan is going to be effective? I, I think there's there, – I would give it a 60 percent chance that he can accelerate earnings growth by uh, a couple of things. The first thing is that reducing regulation mm-hmm. and that reduces costs. The second thing that he's going to do is reduce ca- taxes and if he does that for corporate taxes, that will be a one-year bump up which we can always see will be something that will benefit the market. Then the next question is, can his policies in general stimulate the overall economy to be great? Again. <laughs> Again. Yeah. And I, I would say that that's probably questionable because there's so many risks with Trump. I would say uh, the question is how long can he last? Protectionism is one of those risks as well. Do you think this will play down the attractiveness of the emerging markets? Um, protectionism basically can sometimes work, basically. I mean, we saw some markets like Thailand, as an example, was very protectionist about importing of, of cars and things like that. And they forced the Japanese particularly to set up full operations in Thailand, which they did. Mm-hmm. And now they've got a successful car industry. But- so. But now Trump is trying to reprice trade, as it were, reprice a lot of the exports that are coming out of the emerging markets. So will this put a cap or put a lid on the potential of the emerging markets? Well, I think that this gets a little bit crazy when we talk about it because basically <clears throat> what he's doing is saying China, for instance, is you know uh, the, the products, the, the currency is too cheap and all of that. But the point is, is that if he messes around with the trade with China and that prices of the goods go up, you're talking about you know, 70 percent of the products that are in Walmart probably are coming from China. Mm-hmm. You're talking about the average stuff that people are buying going to go up by 10, 20 percent. You can't do that. That's going to be very painful. And the Chinese can also react to that. We are talking about whether the emerging markets are ripe for a run. I think uh, judging by what Andrew starts who is advisor for Fortress Capital, a licensed fund manager that focuses on the Asia-Pacific region. Judging by what you're saying, uh, it is ripe for a kind of run, and we'll be back with more of this discussion. Coming back up, BFM 89.9. 
You're listening to the SNM show that's all about what's working and what's not in stocks and markets. And today we have Andrew Stodds, who's advisor for Fortress Capital, a licensed fund manager that focuses on the Asia-Pacific region. And we were discussing and we still are discussing whether the emerging markets are ripe for a run. Andrew, your answer is yes. Uh, just a quick summary to that discussion. Uh, let's, let's talk about, uh, let, let's start off with, again, uh, having a more detailed look about valuations. So where does the where do the emerging markets stand either individually or collectively compared with other parts of the world? So the first thing I always look at is PE to growth. And the second thing I look at is ROE to price to book. That allows me to kind of make adjustments because I'm willing to pay a high price for something if it's got good returns. Now, the PE to growth, uh, just, just for the uninitiated, it's, it's quite an interesting um, metric because uh, PE looked at in isolation, may not tell the full story, but if you compare it to growth, uh, it gives you a much nicer background, right? Yeah. You have to be careful because growth can be very volatile. So sometimes we may take a one or two or two or three year average. But let's just look at the current PE to growth. And what we can see is that emerging markets are at uh, 0.7. And obviously, because PE is the, the numerator of this, we want this number to be as low as possible. And if we look at the U.S., it's at 1.9. Okay, so not much bang for the buck over there in Correct. the U.S., more bang for the buck here Correct. in Asia. Correct. I just want to ask because, you know, all, we talked to a lot of fund managers on this show and, um, you know, we rarely ask them what they do with their own money. So I'm just going to put you on the spot here, Andrew. I mean, what do you do with your own dime? I mean, do you, do you, do you walk the talk? And, you know, in what way do you walk the talk? Well, I, I, I invest a lot of money in coffee. Okay, so, so <laughs> that's, that's very much so you, an emerging market you're proxy. You're playing the I economy think. as as, <laughs> as a whole. Yeah, uh, actually, I'm at being an American. We're really restricted now of what we can invest in. So I've been rejuggling around, and I have some passive and some active investments. But generally, I I have invested in the private equity and in small companies also myself. That's okay, a so lot that of what I mainly in emerging markets, clearly, yeah, right? Because you are you are resident in Thailand, correct. correct. Yeah, the other thing that you do uh, that's quite interesting as well and uh, covered in one of our previous episodes with you, the FVMR method, right? Uh, Can you just uh, quickly tell us what that's all about and how how do those matrices look for the emerging markets? So my point is is that I like a framework and I think in a framework and my framework is FVMR, which is basically fundamentals, valuation, momentum and risk. And so I try to look at every market and every sector and every company from that perspective. So right now, if we look at, for instance, uh, emerging markets in general, I would say that uh, FEMR you know, looks pretty attractive for emerging markets. I was just looking at Malaysia recently to try to understand where it fits in in the FEMR spectrum. And unfortunately, uh, when I think about FEMR, I always think about attractive or unattractive. And right now, Malaysia is in the unattractive area. So which are attractive under the FVMR? What's that? Which countries are attractive under the FVMR? So for for FVMR, I look at Korea, Thailand, and India are the most attractive right now. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, that's that's very interesting because uh, how do you implement this strategy of um, saying that emerging markets are attractive and you want to get in there right now? Do you go with stock selection or do you invest in broad markets and using ETFs and so on? Well, we do have ETFs. First of all, um, for people that can trade in the U.S., ETFs are tradable in the U.S., but we also have ETFs within Asia. So one way of doing that is to go and find, for instance, just those three ETFs out of all the countries, 
um, you could build a portfolio of Korea, Thailand, and India right now and say that would be a have a potential to outperform. So that's one way to do it. A second way to do it is stock selection, which I do a lot of stock selection across Asia. So that's kind of my, my business is all about picking stocks and valuing stocks. Is okay. it really a consumer story then? Because I mean, as a private investor, you've got coffee as, a, as your own personal business. Um, is, is that the one biggest macro theme for Asia emerging markets for the next, say, 10 years? I think you can't go wrong with consumer over the next 10 years or so because I think we're going to see rising incomes. People want more wealth. The, the quality of products and services have improved dramatically, but there's a long way to go. So keep providing good and improving quality of services to the average consumer that's rising in their income. That's a great story. Mm-hmm. I think if you go on a thematic basis based on the countries that you've chosen, that's very clear with India and Indonesia. But South Korea, is there a kind of a cons- consumer play there? Well, remember that um, when I'm looking at FBMR, I'm not trying to identify a particular theme in a sector. I'm looking at uh, company, countries based upon the, these different factors individually. The key to, uh, to uh, Korea right now is that the PE is very cheap at about 10 times. Price to book is at one times, which basically means the only thing you're paying for is the value of the existing assets of the business. There is no value of all the future value of those businesses in Korea. Now, Korea has always been cheap, but this is now getting very cheap, and EPS growth is about 20% or so. What about the currency element? Because if you're buying to emerging markets, you're also you know, exposed to the currency fluctuations. I mean, the, the Indian rupee hasn't done great, right? I mean, it might, might go, down, go down further. The Korean currency, you know, the Indian, you know, the Thai currency as well. Well, I tell you, p- predicting the future of stock prices is hard, but man, Enough, predicting right? the fr- future <laughs> of, of, of currencies yeah. is really hard. But what Impossible. I would say is that it's best best thing to do from my perspective is to build a diverse – if you're looking across Asia, build a diversified portfolio and do not hedge because basically you're probably going to – it's going to cost more money to hedge than what you could actually make from your investing in most cases. So be diversified so that you're not – crushed by any one currency of any one country. Would you agree that there is a kind of natural hedge by the corporations concerned? Because, I mean, if you're buying a consumption company in India, uh, one that's, that, that's involved in, for example, food or mobile phones or what, what, what have you there, that would be a natural hedge to the currency because their earnings growth would outperform currency factors. Yeah, the problem is, is timing. The, the, the currency can collapse very quickly, and then that adjustment that you're talking about happens in the P&L over 6 to 12 months as they reprice things. And so most people can't survive that timing mismatch. And so that's a maturity mismatch in the way that that pricing goes on. So that's where that, that theory is correct. But in practice, you can get hit very hard before the currency – before it starts to come up in the P&L of the company. Mm-hmm. Okay, one last question before we let you go. Uh, since you're into coffee, what is your view on the uh, commodity industrial complex? Uh, where are prices going to go in the next few years? Well, I would say the commodity market actually is one of the most interesting asset classes that I've seen recently because it's down dramatically over the last, let's say, 10 years, and it hasn't moved. So it's dead. There's not a lot of momentum. And remember that M in FVMR is momentum. But I would be looking at that as an alternative asset class, particularly if the U.S. started to come down in in the stock market. 
Okay, thanks very much for joining us. And that was Andrew Stotts, advisor for Fortress Capital, a licensed fund manager that focuses on the Asia-Pacific region, talking to us this morning about whether emerging markets are ripe for a run. I'm Julian Ng, together with Kusu Chuang on the SNM Show, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.